What is up, everybody? Adrian M. Gibson here. This week, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to take a break from TBRCon 2023 panels and instead share with you the audio of a live author roundtable on South Asian fantasy. This panel featured authors Gurav Mohanty, R.R. Verdi, Aparna Verma, Gautam Bhatia, and Tashan Mehta. This was such a fascinating discussion as these five authors explored the growth of speculative fiction from South Asia and its diaspora, as well as the ability for South Asian authors to represent their culture, mythology, history, and religion through their work, reaching more global audiences, as well as the struggles and successes that they've faced in the publishing industry on both traditional and indie sides. I hope by providing the audio of this roundtable here on the podcast feed will allow this valuable information to get out there into the hands of as many authors as possible. So grab your notebooks, sit back, and enjoy. Good evening and good morning, everyone. Uh, a big thank you to SFFI Addicts and Fanfire Addicts for allowing us South Asian speculative fiction authors. I won't just call fantasy because Gautam is here with us. Uh, you know, it's such a great opportunity for all of us to get to talk about something which is not spoken a lot about. You know, the representation of South Asian voices in this broad genre of fantasy, which has been clamoring for listening to diverse voices. So um, why don't we just start this with a bit of a Rajiv Masan coffee roundtable introduction where you guys can just uh, so let's keep it interesting. Why don't you guys introduce yourself, the, your latest book, and you know talk about if you were not an author, what would you be doing right now? So, Ronnie, could we start with you? Uh, yeah, uh, my name's Ronnie, and I publish under R.R. Verdi. My most recent title is The First Binding, uh, book one of Tales of Tremaine, which is a South Asian lens focused uh, Silk Road. Uh, epic fantasy. So it follows the idea of shared storytelling mythology that's actually evolved along our real world Silk Road, and I'm doing analogs of it in a fantasy setting with the South Asian character, sort of commenting on how proto-mythologies evolved around the world and their similarities between shared storytelling and tropes, but using South Asian culture to show that um, as my character travels along my analog of the Silk Road. And if I wasn't a writer, I would probably be still working on like muscle cars or racing cars or something with that. Um, that's my background. I used to be a mechanic and, and screw around with cars. And the greatest disappointment to South Asians, I did not study doc, uh, medical, law, engineering, <laughs> science, any of that. College dropout. Great. Tashin, do you want to go next? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an author. I'm based in Goa. My first book, The Liar's Weave, came out in 2017. And it's based around the idea of what if birth charts are real. Um, and birth charts are basically this piece of paper you get uh, that looks at the stars at the moment of your birth and tells you what your future is going to look like. And I loved it. I'm Parsi, so I'm technically not meant to get a birth chart, but I got mine done when I was like 13 and I loved it. Um, and the book kind of grew out of that idea. Um, and my second book, Mad Sisters of Essie, is coming out with HarperCollins India in September. I don't as yet know how to describe that book. It's just a mad fantasy that I love dearly from the bottom of my heart. Um, and if I wasn't an author, um, 
I was trained to be an author my entire life. I did literature my entire life. So I would say I would be a conductor um, of an orchestra oh. that is based in zero reality. I have no sense of music and I can't play an instrument. <laughs> but it's what I want. So I'm going to be the latest cat, Kate Blanchett movie called Tar. Like that's something yeah, even I want. I loved it. So I mean, she's good. crazy, yeah. but I loved it. It was brilliant. She was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Gotham, oh. do you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, before I start, I actually have read an advanced copy of the Mad Sisters of SE, and I, I agree that it's both both unclassifiable and very good. So, so you should Aww. you should get it when, when it comes Bless out. You. Yeah, <laughs> so I've, I've read both a, a very early beta draft and then a very altered final uh, final version. Yeah. I wish separate books, both of which were coming out separately, but we have to just make mm-hmm. do with with unfortunately with one of them. Uh, yeah, my name is Gautam. I am an Indian. Um, specific writer and editor living in Delhi. Uh, the two books I've written, I call them fantasy or science fiction, depending on the audience. And since this is like a fantasy panel, we can call them fantasy. Uh, the wall on the horizon, where the basic premise is that there is a city within a very high wall, um, surrounded by it. Nobody's gone beyond it. Uh, nobody knows what's beyond it. And the story follows the efforts of a group of people to try and then break out, break through, and find a way beyond the wall. It draws on, um, you know, a few a few Indian myths as part of the storyline and the hybrid way in which we all grew up in India. Both mm-hmm. classic fantasy, science fiction, canon, and and Indian myths have come together. Uh, and also, this is a good time for this for this panel because, for me at least, because I've spent the, a good part of the uh, first half of the year researching contemporary Sri Lankan SF for for an essay that just came out last week. So I'm, I'm still brimming with some of those um, you know, uh, things I read for that essay and perhaps we can talk a bit about that going forward. But thanks for having me here. Pleasure. Uh, Aparna, uh, you didn't say what would you do if you were not. Uh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know you're a lawyer as well, but like, apart from that. I would, I would, I would, be, I would be a train a train engine driver because that's been like, always been what's fascinated me since, since childhood. Mm-hmm. Like Sheldon Cooper then. Yeah. <laughs> I like that <laughs> about about dancing but i i can't swim it's been my lifelong dream to learn how to swim and do something on the water so i feel like i would be like a ship's captain or a surf instructor like just something to do with the ocean and the water um but thankfully i'm an author because that's i actually know how to do writing how to write and not how to uh, not swim so <laughs> Uh, my book is called The Phoenix King. It comes out this August, so August 29th. Um, it's a blend of both sci-fi and fantasy. It's about, uh, inspired by Indian myths, specifically uh, Ma Gali and Durgama, and specifically talks about um, an assassin, an heir, and a tyrant struggle for power when an ancient prophecy threatens to destroy their world. And so it uh, comes out very excited um ronnie thank you just blurb it so thank you so much like we put it i don't know they they finally updated the amazon page to show that i was like yes we're ready more like blurbs come up and whatnot so um excited to be here and meet some more amazing south asian voices it's amazing uh so i'll go last i'm gaurav mohanty i'm the author of sons of darkness my book just came out two weeks ago, and it's a grimdark reimagination of an ancient epic Indian tale in an alternate universe. I've spoken so much about the book lately that I'm having, you know, you know how release months are, right? I think all of you yeah. guys know this. It's just so overwhelming that now it's it's like a, 
recitation sheet in my head that I just can't yes. do it anymore. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, I'll just keep it short and say it's like Game of Thrones in India. I think that's like the most laziest explanation of the book that I can <laughs> So it's that if I were not an author and a lawyer, I think I would be a stand-up comic. I think that's something which I'm anyway pursuing on the side. I think that's something which I really enjoy. And given that I love quoting, somehow I end up quoting controversy because of my books, I think stand-up comedy seems, in India at least, seems like a viable career option from that regard. <laughs> but, okay guys, so let me just start with this discussion of was with a question that at any point of time, did you watch something in a movie or did you read something in a book that made you feel that, damn, this is something which is based out of a myth or a facet of Indian culture, Indian mm. history, or South Asian, let me expand it further, South Asian history, yeah. South Asian culture, that got that bug going in you that I wish I wrote something or I wish I read something which actually capitalized on this Indian aspect rather than some Western writer capitalizing on it. You know. I can yeah. I can go first on this, and yeah. I know Ronnie, you're about to launch into it too because you're both comparative <laughs> mythology nerds. Um, but and I, this might be controversial, but Avatar: The Last Airbender draws so much from Hinduism. The concept of avatars, uh, the concept of Agni, like, and there are very few South Asian characters or South Asian coded characters um, in the series. And I remember when I watched it, I was like, wait, like that's that's when Krishna talked to Arjuna. Like, that's literally where this is coming from, you know? And I was like, but it's Aang. Like, <laughs> why aren't we seeing uh, a South Asian uh, character? Um, specifically, I mean, like, more so from the Indian mythology coming from it. Um, and so I think that's what started the bug for delving deeper into the mythologies that have inspired so many Western works. Even though Avatar Last Airbender blends a lot of different south asian and east asian mythology it feels uh like a hodgepodge where it's trying to do so much at once um it doesn't really delve deeper into some of the concepts that i wish i had learned or seen a bit more about so i think for me that was like avatar when they took M. Night Shyamalan to direct that movie, I thought he oh. would get that Indian aspect. He did give the Agni character, the fire characters, an Indian origin. Dave Patel yeah. was playing the main antagonist, but yeah, they bossed that up, you're right. But I think I feel the same way about The Wheel of Time. I yes. think Robert Jordan has borrowed so heavily from uh, ancient Indian ethos and, you know, being the demons, the demonic creatures, or the concept of energy. Look, I don't know if you guys have seen Wheel of Time or read Wheel of yeah. Time. Yeah. And energy and male energy, which they call Sidene and Sedar, which is directly lifted off. I won't say lifted off, but directly inspired by Shaivism and Shaktism, the kind of energy concepts. And, and the concept Robert, of dualism. Correct, correct. So he has admitted that as well. And so even the concept of Matrix, uh, and they accepted as well, the sisters, that uh, the concept of Matrix is inspired from Maya, the whole idea that there's an illusion. Mm. You know, when mm -hmm. I saw the concept, it just got me thinking that why are they able to do something so amazing out of an ancient Indian concept? And why haven't we captured the magic of our ancestors? So, right. Ronnie. Uh, well, you already tackled one wheel of time. And like, I actually did a thread about this where I was breaking down like pages of all the influences. But um, another one for me that was big was Roger Zelazny's Zla uh, um, Amber and Chronicles Lord of Amber Lights. Yeah, Lord of Light. Lord of Light, um, I'm going to say that, yeah. The amount of just straight up stuff that was borrowed from Hinduism and deities and names is obviously massive. But I, this this might get really controversial, but a lot of 90s and 2000s fantasy did. Um, there isn't just one when you grow up, especially as a mythology nerd, and you read that and you get older and have access to the Internet to go back and codify and look up the, the proof. 
a lot of 2000s and 90s fantasy authors borrowed from South Asian stuff because they're also building off of the previous authors who did. And they don't know the mm. sourcing of where they got it from. And it's led to this giant like daisy chain of um, DNA that comes from older cultures that makes up what mm. I guess we think of Western fantasy. But it's been mm. removed from um, fantasy that you know comes from us at other places along the Silk Road, which is part of why I wrote the first binding. Um, and share like similar myths that can be reinterpreted to Christianity, Greek, or um, South mm. Asian depending on what your culture basis is. And then you realize like, oh no, they belong to a lot of old cultures because they were shared. Mm-hmm. Guys, Tashan, Gautam, do you have, did you have any yeah. such event? <laughs> no, I didn't. So I didn't have any such event because obviously growing up in India, you're surrounded. So I'm Parsi, so I'm slightly separate from Hindus. And obviously I grew right. up in a very different cultural setting. Uh, but obviously Mahabharata, Ramayana, all of that was very much around you. All those stories were very much around you. There was a lot of literature around you that was dealing with that and like intersecting with that. Um, so I think for me, when I did finally start looking at literature and start looking at fantasy, what I found was missing for me was the intangibles of what it's like to be Indian. I don't know how to describe that because Indian is such a large term and yeah. intangible is also just such a vague term. But it's the quietness of the plurality with which you live. It's the way of looking, essentially. And I found fantasy was the best medium to try and capture that. Um, and I think Vajra Chandrasekhar says something about this in the note he wrote for The Saint of Bright Doors, where he says, I'm trying to talk about truths that are not facts. So just talk about a reality of a world that can't be captured in the physical reality that we understand and in the tangibles that we understand, or even in the past, in terms of fact and in history. Um, and so I think my grappling with fantasy in South Asian and how it intersects is how can we use this prism to deepen what we understand of the present and of reality and engage with it in a way in which it hasn't been engaged with before? Not before in literature, but just before in general um, and in a more authentic way. Um, so for me, that was what was really interesting and really attractive. And I think, I think the wall does that, doesn't it, Gotham? Where it kind of, I think it's fantasy. I know people call it science fiction, but I'm just going to call it fantasy. Um, I think the wall does that. And that's what I loved about the wall, where it says, hey, these are our lived realities. I'm just going to very carefully lift them, put them in an unrecognizable setting, um, and then just kind of make them come alive. So you can live those intangibles with me. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's sort of the whole thing of that hybrid thing where you, you grow up internalizing a lot of Mm. Um, Indian myths simply by, os- by a process of osmosis mm. and then they become part of, of, of what you write because you know you've just grown up with them and so many of those mm. references are just there with you uh, I think my I think Lord of Light uh, is definitely uh, one of the examples mm. I think it's interesting because uh, Zelezny is pretty clear that, that he you know wants to write a book <laughs> where mm. uh, you know Buddhist and the, the Hindu and the Buddhist canon are are there um, and and he's, and he's not making any, he's not trying to uh, do it subtly or or you know indirectly he's very clear this is what i want to do uh, i think that's one book that i found interesting in that regard and also of course with its with its flaws and i, I love the lesney i think he's a, he's a great writer uh, i think the book that annoyed me was uh, river of gods um, ian mcdonald uh, that is like a um, and I, it's a book set in maybe a medium term future india which has been balkanized uh, and there are water wars and all kinds of things going on. And um, as, a, as a premise, I mean, of course, balkanization and water wars are both, you know, 
possible lines of, of future that, that you can write interesting things about in, in the specific context. But I think you just betrayed all the assumptions that, um, you know, um, a writer based in the global north brings to portraying a country in, in the global south. Uh, many lazy assumptions about uh, the economy, about hierarchies, about society that, that, you know, makes you want to, you know, issue some kind of a corrective in in the, in the same medium, which is fiction. I think that was the, the book that bugged me quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I did not know about River of Gods. River of Gods, is that the correct name? Yeah, it was published in 2004. And it's, okay. a well, it's a well-written book by a good writer. Except that there's so many slipshod assumptions about, about mm. you know, Indian society mm. and fault lines in India that that's what annoys you. Right, right. Mm. That's right. Okay, great. So uh, from moving on from there, I just want to actually direct this question to Ronnie and Aparna because you guys are based in America. And uh, just from the context of South Asian fantasy, is there anything that you perceived in your journey of publishing which you felt that the traditional white authors, and I'm using the word white under quotes, did not face? Is that mm-hmm. something which you guys went through in a publishing mm-hmm. journey that you think like, I don't know, any kind of discrimination or some kind of challenge or maybe a, a ease of access because you are creating this separate thing that, okay, you are using, you know, the BIPOC card. Is that something which helped you or it did not help you? Is that something which you'd like to share on? Uh, I don't know if you want to go first. I got to, I'm trying to think how to politically say this properly, um, uh, you know, avoid drama. So I don't know if you want to go first. Uh, on the drama, it's fine. <laughs> bring on the controversy. I would say uh, I try to keep a good look. I am at my heart an optimist, so I try not to let these things get to me. But I think it was very clear just from the onset of uh, when people started doing, um, or even looking back on like publishing paid me, uh, realizing mm-hmm. how varied different deals can be. Um, mm-hmm. There was this one particular author who I will not name, <laughs> uh, who got, um, as the Whisper Network said, I think about like a really significant deal, upwards of like maybe like half a million dollar range. Um, oh, I know. Oh. And it was a retelling of a Greek myth. And uh, which we see, like you know, those books mm-hmm. sell like crazy, even though yeah. um, there's so there's so many of them. And I I, I totally uh, understand the need to hear diverse voices saying that. But this was a white author uh, contributing to the Greek space. Once again, we've seen that happen so many times. Versus, I know a Indian author who in, uh, did a retelling of an Indian myth. Um, different treatment. Uh, you know, and I am not writing a retelling of Indian myths. I was inspired mm-hmm. by them, but this, and this book definitely takes inspiration. You'll see different threads of it, but it's not a retelling. You know, it's like a, uh, it's a totally secondary world um, that takes inspiration and roots from it. Um, but it, my treatment on terms of like how publishing paid me is very different than an in, um, than a white fantasy author would get. So I think that to me is the clearest um, differ- differentiation, uh, mm-hmm. and just like how you get paid, um, how marketing spend is put behind you. Uh, I think one uh, one interesting way that people don't realize. Um, I do a lot of marketing on TikTok, which Gaurav and Ronnie know a lot about, um, and. Uh, 
uh, there's this thing called, um, there's the bias, the, the algorithm bias of putting mm. white faces and yeah. propelling wow. um, videos by white characters, uh, not white characters, white creators more over people of color. Um, and that's because, and I've read different articles about it, uh, of how uh, the algorithm was created by humans and we as humans have biases of what we deem as more watchable. Mm. And people who were of lighter skin tone. So it's not just like, you know, people who are white and blonde, but it's also people who are white passing, who are lighter skin color. So there's the colorism that comes into it uh, where those videos are pushed out more. So like a white author a video will be pushed out mm. more versus my video, even though if they're posted at the same time, similar length, they might use the same music. Um, and so to me, that's a little frustrating, but it's, it's something that it's a bigger systematic problem right it's not just particular to me i've heard from other bipoc authors who aren't just indian and south asian but from um black southeast asian um mm -hmm. and they have you know faced similar uh treatment and I, I i don't quite know the solution other than we just we continue talking about it and raising these issues and mm -hmm. hopefully we demand enough and there's a change uh she said it wonderfully uh, part of it is going to talk about was uh marketing in that so personal example when my book was first coming out it, it it's clearly a south asian story um some of you have read it here but that was the least talked about aspect of it it was more how quickly could they compare it to an existing white fantasy and then mm -hmm. i want to phrase this properly because it's not a criticism or anything but a uh, city of brass which we know is technically um inspired by middle eastern culture which is still different than south mm -hmm. asian but there's this weird um if you're brown, you sort of get lumped into whatever other brown you can sort of find by publishing, which kind of mm -hmm. means the purpose of let's try to give a voice to South Asian authors because there's so mm -hmm. much diversity in our own culture. Like how many different languages are there in India alone? Mm -hmm. um, just just a different culture of how many different mm -hmm. kingdoms have we had, different invasions, mm -hmm. um, how, how diverse are we in our appearance? And it was really, really just weird seeing that that uh, there was such a little focus on the actual South Asian-ness and aspect of it and the fact that I'm sort of analoging historical myths and parts of our culture in it from a storytelling aspect and how part of the reason, like for me, I chose to use a frame narrative is uh, Mahabharata and like South Asia. We created the first frame narrative. That that structure mm -hmm. is South Asian inherently. And there was an article when, um, what is it? Asian American Pacific Islanders Month happened during the year of my release where all they gave me was a byline saying like the first binding by R.R. Verdi and everyone else was getting a paragraph or a page of what South or what Asian aspects mm -hmm. they brought to the story. And I'm like, you guys couldn't even be bothered to like email me and say like, hey, we're going to mention you here. Let's talk. Like, can you talk about the South Asian aspects about your story? So and yeah. none of that happened. It was just kind of like, what's the biggest mm -hmm. white fantasy author we can compare it to? And then uh, what's what's sort of brown? Oh, City of Brass. OK, it's, it's that. And I'm like. Uh, you, you guys could have just emailed me. I would have been happy yeah. to write it for y'all. Um, so that was that was really interesting dealing with this with um, publishing. There was very little regard. There was there was mm -hmm. some interest in like we would love to have something South Asian, and then it seems like very little care and caring about the actual South Asian mm -hmm. aspects and talking about it. I want to add, and I, just, yeah, I, I was just going to say I took a screenshot and I still have it. I don't know if I can share my screen, and I think I sent it to Gaurav and Ronnie where I went on Google and I said Indian adult fantasy book or Indian fantasy book. Mm -hmm. And there was only one Indian, a uh, one book written by an Indian author. They showed me N.K. Jemisin. I have looked at the screenshot and The Kingdom of Gods by N.K. Jemisin. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bruising of Kilwa, uh, The Empire of Gold, The Inadequate Hair, who is by Daniel L. Jensen, not South Asian. And the only one that's South Asian is Upon a Burning Throne by Ashok Banker. Wow. 
And that's, that's like, crazy. That's crazy yeah. to me where I'm like, you know, we're, we're trying really hard um, to push our stories forth, but it's, it's like, even when we do, we're like lumped in like, okay, you guys are all brown, so go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually trying to. It's very interesting because I was going to branch out to uh, you know Tashin and Gotham about the troubles mm. which uh, Indians faced. You know, like as Indian mm. authors residing in India, and mm. uh, when I was listening to your the struggles that you guys have faced, mm. I'm sorry, I just couldn't help but get reminded. I don't know that Tashin and Gotham. You might know this uh, very epic scene where Siddharth. I don't know, there's a new actor in Gully Boy, Siddharth Malhotra, I'm not sure, no, what's the mm. funny thing, Siddharth. And Ananya mm. Pandey was sitting and Ananya Pandey spoke about her troubles. And oh, yeah. Siddharth said something very nice, that where your struggles begin is where our dreams come true. Mm. You know? And honestly, because when you, uh, like, as an Indian fantasy author, the infrastructure issues that we have, let alone those issues of, you know, uh, racism, comparison, discrimination, mm. etc., we don't have an infrastructure. Like when we were reaching, when I was reaching out, this is my personal experience that I faced. When I reached out to publishers, uh, the whole idea of a thick book, like a Game of Thrones book is easily 700 pages. And my yeah. book around was 500 pages. They would not take that gambit. They're like, yeah. no, we won't. The India is not a place for SFF, science, science fiction, or for that mm. matter, uh, you know, epic fantasy. It's something which we don't know. And I, from, from my understanding of history, it comes from a bit of a colonial perspective where suddenly, where Britain placed a lot of focus on Greek mythology as classics and something to be, you know, where if you're educated, you're a classy mm -hmm. fellow. But when it came to Indian myths and Indian folklore, it was something with, which we worship as heathens and snake charmers. So our, our pride and our magic went away. And that's why I think Amish's Immortals of Meluha became such a hit because it whittled away the magic in our system and kind of tried to give a science fiction explanation to everything magical that was in our lobe. You know, it's just my reading of it. Because, uh, for example, Apana spoke about TikTok. You know, uh, I don't know, Tashan and Gautam, if you know this, like, book talk successes are a huge thing when it comes to publishing market. And TikTok is banned in India. You know, I keep ranting about this. I'm like, it's not there. It's a, a big medium is not available. Uh, yeah. Secondly, the publishing industry taking a bet. Like when I, when my marketing tagline of my book is India's first grim, dark, epic fantasy, you know, mm. and like realizing that, wow, it's awesome that I'm, you know, probably the first, but it's too late in the coming. It's 2023. Grimdark mm. is already a very established genre before, you know. So it's, it's the kind of struggles that we are trying to break through. Like, okay, I'll give you another example. And I'm sorry if I'm uh, reaching, because again, I was doing some background research. In India, we don't focus on the concept of Goodreads, you know, like for example, the wall. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> True, but it kind of shows that how the reader author atmosphere is not very integrated. And I'll give you an example. Let's say Gotham's The Wall. Okay, it has received like absolutely glowing reviews from every literary site. But when it comes to the number of ratings or reviews on Goodreads, for example, his book does not come up in the algorithm. Same goes for Tashin's book, same goes for my mm -hmm. book. You know, and this is something which I wrote about as well. Like if you, and I'll come to this in a bit when I'm discussing what exactly is South Asian fantasy. Uh, Ronnie and Aparna both spoke about that, how they get clubbed together, you know, with uh, uh, Indian, um, as in other authors. Now, is this something which you guys have felt that where you get clubbed with authors of Indian origin from other countries, which does, does that, because I don't know, Tashin, you have gallivanted between London and India. If mm. whatever 
that stalking on google has revealed <laughs> it's true it's so, correct it's good stalking <laughs> great awesome great so uh, gautam i've been based in india gautam i hope i'm right i mean you're like a delhi supreme court champ I mean, yeah so, i've been delhi where i've been abroad for for studying but but yeah delhi, yeah, delhi, yeah he was a road scholar at oxford he's been abroad and then he went for his postdoc to germany <laughs> Very long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, I spent my time in Germany as well. But okay, we'll definitely come to that. But what I meant to ask was that in but both of you got Indian publishers, correct? Like Harper yeah. Collins India and absolutely and yeah. India, right? So was that some difference that you felt when you were comparing in terms of this aspect? Like were your struggles a lot more pronounced, or was it the same as any other author you might have interacted mm-hmm. with of Indian origin outside? Yeah, so, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I just went for it. But if you yeah, want to go, go first, I'm more than yeah. Go, yeah. Go for it, um, I'm still, I'm trying to, I'm still sort of reeling from the algorithm on TikTok um, because mm-hmm. I'm like, if we're on Book Talk, surely it should allow us access. Um, I think I haven't broken into the Western market, so I can't compare with any sort of intelligent knowledge. But I can say that what I struggle with most right now is comp titles. um mm. being able to just write what i want to write um and have that appreciated for what it is because there's no comp title that does either my identity justice or what i'm writing justice so there becomes this question of what box do you sit in and what you're allowed to write um and i mean i can't say without a longer career uh, but right now from where i'm sitting it does feel very much like you have a lot more permission to be wilder um and be a bit more free if you come from a certain background or with a certain basis and i should make this very clear that as an indian publishing in india my journey for publishing in india has been relatively smooth which means i'm automatically speaking from a place of immense privilege right because your books are out then you get to go to the west and say hey this has been published here this has been looked at this has been awarded prizes all of those things uh but it doesn't make a difference whatever happens in the east happens in the east and it's like it's separate quiet little black box um and it doesn't really affect the west so i think what i'm finding hardest right now is comp titles how do you position yourself to be allowed to write what you want to write and those barriers are very high and i imagine they're high for you as well aparna and um like aravardi i can't imagine that's not something you'll face as well but maybe it feels particularly a little bit more difficult because it's harder to form community in goa than it would be in mm-hmm. the us for example go yeah, take away perhaps a couple of things um, i mean i think most of the things have been said and in particular the, the absence of infrastructure which is you know mm. uh, the absence of conventions uh, the absence of a uh, flourishing sort of Yeah. you know reading culture in terms yeah. of genre reading culture uh, you know um, the absence of say uh, uh, infrastructure in terms of agents and specific imprints right mm. so we don't have science fiction imprints of of the major publishers in india as as we do abroad uh, so that of course is is one issue and that the uh, the indian publishers lack the resources to uh to um even place a book in a bookshop abroad right so forget the marketing and you know all of that is is one thing but uh, but if your if your book isn't even on a shelf in a genre shelf in a bookshop people can't even accidentally chance upon it and be hooked by the blurb right so that's a a thing so again i i really would touch that i perhaps wouldn't call it a struggle because just the the ability to navigate so the indian market is a function of class 
caste, urban, like all of that. So, so, I, so it, I, it'd be a relative thing, not so much a struggle. I think the, the point that uh, I think I want to make is that, um, so I, 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 I'm part of this magazine, Strange Horizons, and, and we'd done a special issue on Palestinian spec fic a couple of years ago. And uh, the editor for that, Rasha Abdulhadi, the Palestinian American themselves, had made the point that um, that it, it shouldn't be that um, that every Palestinian spec fic writer needs to uh, write something that is identifiably or distinctively Palestinian, but that a Palestinian spec fic writer should be able to write a Deep Space Nine uh, spin-off, and that should be equally valid. Uh, so I think the so one one thing I've noticed is that. Um, the expectation is that the the Americans and the and the Brits can basically tackle the sort of the universal themes, you know, of, of first contact, uh, of of um, hyperspace and time time paradoxes. So Arkady Martin's uh, memory called Empire, right, which is a book I, mm-hmm. I think it's very good. That kind of a book, right? That kind of like taking the the big broad themes of of historical science fiction. Uh, whereas if you're like you know an Indian writer, then It'll be something that will be recognizably Indian in terms of, say, a myth or, or something localized or particular, right? But as an Indian writer, you know, you can't write the Deep Space Nine. Uh, so I think I think that is one thing that I found annoying, yeah. and um, yeah. uh, the expectation that you must be you must exhibit your Indianness. Yeah, yes. that's really well said. Those themes, yeah, themes, you know? yeah, that, that's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I so think true freedom. Is, so sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say. I think true freedom as a writer is being able to write whatever you want without you being trapped by your identity, right? Because mm-hmm. Indianness or, or who we are it takes multiple forms. So many plural forms of what we want to yeah. do, and it it becomes hard then to navigate a book industry that wants you to look your work to look in a certain way as defined by the white gaze. And I think that's yeah, just difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you grow up like... the things which you spoke about Gotham, like in the sense that how we're, um, you know, required to always exhibit Indianness. Hmm. So uh, what, according to all of you, and I'll just come to that, what exactly is South Asian fantasy for you guys? Now I'll give you an ex- like author-wise example so that it kind of, uh, the depth of the question makes sense. Is South Asian fantasy something which has to do with the world, as in the world which you have used, or you know the Indianness of it, or something which you have taken from, uh, I don't know, Sri Lankan lore or Indian lore? Because if that is the passing criteria, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time is South Asian inspired. So is City mm-hmm. of Stairs, which has like a very Indian inspired word. Or and and in that case, Gotham's the wall might not fit the criteria because it's based in the future. Sumer is. It, the name is Indian or a Mesopotamian, or, uh, but it does not have, in that sense, the DCness, the watch what we what we call conven- uh, conventionally they see. Or does it depend on the nationality of the author, wherein someone who is residing in South Asia should be called a South Asian author rather than authors who are not in South Asia? Because when you're trying to classify them as one, you're trying to associate that identity with them which would then exclude Aparna or Ronnie from the definition of South Asian authors because they're not based in South Asia right or they are I don't know I don't know if you guys are, I think Ronnie's wiki says he's American 
I'm not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, I was born to... born and raised here. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. right. I, I was born in Rajasthan, so I'm actually yeah. first yeah. generation. But, but this gets into the whole divide over that too, because I've had my South Asianist questioned, even though my parents literally came from India, right? So when I was yeah. born, mm-hmm. they actually spoke Hindi and Punjabi at home. I didn't learn English actually as my first language um, until I was Same. put into Montessori, which is like a pre- preschool. Like you get to daycare where you are taught English and stuff before you actually go to preschool. So I actually grew up speaking Hindi and Punjabi at home because that's what my parents, that was their way to be safe at home you know dad goes out to work in a very american environment mm. new country fresh off the boat and at home you know romance is with your wife it's hindi and punjabi and that's closest and that's of course what the baby's gonna learn it, but the concept was... of nationality comes in question because i don't know gautam will obviously can correct me here because he's like the authority on this thing but when it comes to citizenship india does not recognize dual citizenship i'm just giving mm. you like a legal example well so doesn't it my no it doesn't you, uh, are, uh, you have to give it up. OCI. Yeah, well, so, uh, the, yeah, you can be OCI. OCI, yeah. OCI, OCI, yeah. OCI cards. Yeah, we have OCI. Yeah, yeah. Because so, my parents had to give up citizenship to become uh, naturalized yeah. here. Yeah. Right. So in that case, now what, what happens then? And let's say, even if you forget that, like Ronnie's book is a silk root fantasy. So it covers just not South Asia. It covers you know, North Asia for that matter. I'm sure in the second book, he plans to even head to Egypt. Middle East, yeah. analogs, yeah. 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 Correct. So in that sense, he transcends that as well. So what, according to each of you, is South Asian fantasy? Is that something that should be localized to uh, the region uh, from where you are writing? Or it, should it depend on the worlds which are inspired, which Gautam said that that kind of annoys him? Uh, is that, or is there some other definition we have? Or you want to keep it very fluid at where everyone can come in or where everyone can go out? To, to me, and I'll, I'll tackle this, and this might be reductive or too simple of a statement, but I think any work written by someone of the South Asian diaspora, whether they're from India, across India, you know, living in different countries, constitutes as South Asian, um, simply because I think the identity itself, identity is not always linked to nationality. Um, it's linked to how you grew up, what values you grew up with, what values you treasure and continue to uphold, which ones you've given away. And I think um, when you are a South Asian writer, um, some of those values are universal um, mm-hmm. that we talk about. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like Indianness. Like some, I, I've had this conversation. It's funny because I was at a national convention just on Friday. We were talking about this of what is Indianness, um, and uh, you know, there's like according to the white gaze, an Indian book has to talk about caste. It has to talk about arranged marriages. It has to t- talk about patriarchy and misogyny because to them, that is what India is suffering, uh, and it's mm-hmm. always a- about suffering, um, and. I think there there's value to those books that talk about them. Uh, I think there's the Daughters of Madurai um, that I just read uh, that was about um, female uh, uh, in um, South India and how in certain parts of South India and how the the main character kind of deals with that in this dual uh, narrative. And I thought it was it was really beautifully written and it ta- tackled those heavy topics. Um, but a grim dark fantasy uh, written by Gaurav or The Wall by Gotham is still just as South Asian uh, and it's considered to me South Asian sci-fi or fantasy as something that's so apparently about Indianness, which is the caste system <laughs> or um, whatever different traditions. To, I I think it's 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 detrimental to pigeonhole. Uh, 
one definition of what is South Asian SFF. Um, because because I'm sorry to cut you up another because actually there I will slightly differ from you because mm-hmm. uh, for example I saw let's say one of your stories where you said that uh, this is the first your book is the first Indian uh, fantasy sci-fi sci-fi fantasy right but according to what we have seen in India it's probably the wall by Gotham which is the first science fiction fantasy Indian right so how do you tackle this because when um we're talking about indianness now i know gotham's book has been so difficult to classify by everybody you know whether some people call it fantasy some people call it sci-fi and most call it hybrid and gotham you may correct me if i'm wrong i think i think no, i should right. call it fantasy, right and i thought it looked yeah. definitely sci-fi to me so in it has that a sci-fi case, feel yeah yeah great yeah, yeah. So in that case, so that's why I'm calling it hybrid. So Abhinav, here when you say, let's say we are using, as, as we just spoke about it, there are infrastructure difficulties which uh, we in, as Indian authors have, which American authors might not have. But when we use the lines like, you know, Indian book, do you think that kind of steps into the struggles of local authors who might be facing a very different kind of trouble than American Indian authors. I'm trying to talk about that. So it might be called like Indian fantasy or DC fantasy, but when you call it an Indian book, when it is not by an Indian publisher, do you think that trouble? Because here is where I slightly disagree from you. That where you can yeah. call it inspired fantasy, but when you call it an Indian book, I feel that we fall into a gray line. I think that it, it really hinges on that conversation of the of people from born and raised in India versus the Indian diaspora. And that itself is a very thorny issue. Um, And I think it's unfair to tell someone of the diaspora, you're not Indian enough because you didn't grow up in India. I think their struggles are very different. You know, if living in India, you might have one set of struggles, but that doesn't mean someone Mm -hmm. of the diaspora also doesn't struggle. Um, you know, like, I I feel like it's, 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 it's its own set of, it's a different flavor. Uh, everyone's still struggling. Um, and everyone's still groping with this identity of like what it, what it means to be Indian. And I think Mm -hmm. that we're talking about Indianness that, you know, we're not even tackling the rest of the South Asian diaspora, Mm -hmm. you know, of Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, Nepal, you know, so I think, uh, as storytellers, we make this effort to empathize with the characters we write, with the stories we want to explore by creating narratives where the reader can empathize as well. And I think the, in order to create that empathy, we also have to mm-hmm. open ourselves up to these discussions and break away these barriers of like, this is exactly what you know Sri Lankan fantasy looks like, or this is exactly what Indian <laughs> fantasy looks like, because as storytellers, we're constantly reinventing the wheel. We're constantly adapting. We're constantly evolving. So I don't think it's quite fair to say like, this is only what can be classified as such. Does that kind of yeah. No, I was not saying yeah. that yours could not be classified. I was talking about like, if if it's called the first Indian book, that's what I was going in that direction. But you know, Aparna, I was completely like on with you on this. I don't know if you other, others know this or not, because I keep getting tagged on the stupid comments. So Aparna has received some, you know, criticism plus trolls that mm. her character's on the naming of it, it's such a trivial thing which would know it would escape everyone. But I think Aparna, you have gone through this that uh, her characters are named uh, Yasin, right? 
and Yasin, uh, Tam- uh, Yasin, Alina, and Leo. And it, it's really yeah, interesting that you bring these up because so, at, I was at a national conference on Friday and someone asked me, the interviewer asked me, uh, a journalist asked me like, you know, you've come with this criticism of like, you're writing an Indian inspired fantasy mm-hmm. and you don't have quote unquote traditional Indian names like yeah. Aburna. And I pushed back saying that, you know, Indianness is not just contributed by the name. It's one of the facets, but it goes mm-hmm. so much deeper. And I kid you not, uh, someone came up to me afterwards, this one wonderful um, Indian student whose name is Liana. Her brother's name is Christopher. They're both Hindu. Mm. And they're like, thank you, because I have had this struggle my entire I am not Indian because my name is not traditional. My parents named me such because these names were personal to them. And I think that itself is worthy and valuable. Does that you know, I, I know that not only really makes so much sense, and not just because you're in America. I'm sure Tashan would have seen this because Goa has a lot of Portuguese yeah. culture. So you have a lot mm-hmm. of Indians who do not have quintessential traditional long Sanskrit names. You know, mm-hmm. you might yeah. have a George, very much an Indian. Does not mean that just because he has what we might perceive as an Anglo-Indian name or a Christian name uh, yeah. is something they do not deserve to have their stories. Mm-hmm. To. So I'm completely with you on that. That the whole idea of names is just. I think trolls sometimes just want to troll. Uh, I, I get some of them does come from a legitimate space of asking a question as to what was your reason behind it. But that was amazing. And I'm sorry. I think we have hogged a lot of the guys. Please uh, on. I hope we have not branched out too much. But Gautam Tashan. Ronnie, if you have No, I'm, I'm just, I wanted to just point out, Ronnie said that he grew up speaking Hindi and Punjabi at home. English is my first language. I've lived my whole life in Bombay and I've only ever spoken English. I did terribly in Hindi. I'm not a languages person at all. I'm horrible at Marathi. I'm consistently made fun of. Um, so I think to me, I think there's a lot of value in asking ourselves if South Asian fantasy is actually useful to us as writers or just useful as a marketing term. What ontological yeah. stance are you taking? Yeah. And if you're just talking about what you create, then I don't think that term has any sort of value. I mean, it's great because I get to be friends with Gotham and I get to meet Aparna, I get to meet Ronnie and we get to meet up at some point and there's a huge community. But I don't actually think it has any sort of value because the very act of trying to pin it down to a definition, I think sort of takes away the freedom I think we're all fighting really hard for, for mm-hmm. plurality yeah. and expression and whatever we want to do with our works. Um, but yeah, that's all. I think Oscar um, Wilde put it so beautifully, to define is to limit. You know. Yeah, gorgeous. Exactly that. Yeah. Well, I would also like posit the idea, well, look at how publishing treats it. We talked about this earlier, but how many Greek and Norse retellings are actually done by Greek and Norse authors. It's actually become a huge yeah. thing with Twitter where there are yeah. Greek authors now trying to break out the Greek retelling, but it was done by an author who's technically English. Like there are 200 years of living in England, their whole family, and like, they're like, yeah, we really like Circe or we really like this one legend or we're doing this, you know, Greek retelling over and over and over again. It's like, well, you kind of also took that now from Greek authors who, that's actually their culture. Like they're, they're not gone. They still exist. Greece still yeah. exists. Same with Norse legends. Um, a lot of them are being done by British authors. It's kind of like, cultures co-opt other cultures and then they profit and they'll use it for so long that I, I don't know how comfortable I feel defining it for South Asians right now because we don't even have the breadth of our work out there in the largest markets, right? Which if we're going to be honest, like the largest markets are the Western markets. It's like the United mm-hmm. States. I believe after that, it's actually Germany, not uh, the UK that has mm-hmm. a larger reader base, um, oh, wow. and, at least for sales. And then it's England. Um, and we don't, our works haven't proliferated there enough to to have that broad spread of like, 
what's South Asian. Like a part of the argument that I've had with my publisher and my agent is the size of my books, which we've talked about. Um, they're they're extremely large. Like book two, draft was four hundred fifty thousand words, and they're trying to cut it mostly just for print costs. But I'm like, would you have done that for a white author when you have a history of dozens of five to up to ten book series that are that large, where we don't have the precedence that hopefully one day someone else will be allowed to write that. Um, that showcase these myths. There seems to be a lot of cherry picking of um, what's expected, like uh, like Gotham said too about the South Asianness from publishers. What's expected and how we have to deliver that um, within mm-hmm. what constraints we have to deliver that. What we have to fit and look like um, our books say or comment on. But going back to also what defines South Asianness, um, look at the history of our stories. They also tackled stuff that we've talked about where other authors get to, um, like Gotham said, universal themes like Mahabharat and Roman aren't just what white people would assume about casteism and things like that. They have analogs um, directly to the Iliad and Odyssey, which when they're talked about, they're talked about as epic world classics um, because they talk about heroism. They talked about, you know, uh, beautiful ma- male bonding, brotherhood, uh, positive masculinity, whatever you want to take from them. But there are beats that I was a comparative mythology nut. I've, st- I've studied and I break down and other academics have done that. The Odyssey, Iliad, and Roman and Mabarat have exact beats that match from character to characters to um, to structure points because they evolved out of Proto-Indo-European stories. So why is one treated like a universal classic that people in the UK will study, they'll try to reread in Latin um, that are studied in America, but others are relegated to only South Asianness when they tackle universal themes as well? And I, I think this kind of gets back to that too, like how we reduce it um, or try to find this will also hurt us in a weird way rather than us having the chance to first I guess, expand this before we start trying to codify it as much, letting the authors mm-hmm. have the freedom to, to do this wide so we have enough books to sort of have this discussion with. I, I think the, the most simple, the simplest way I can try and pitch in is that uh, Ronnie and I have the same target Game of Thrones banners, but we are free to like arrange it on our wall as we choose to, you know? Yeah. I think that's, oh, there's no, there is no fit way to like do this. He can choose Martell, Lannister, Stark. I can choose Targaryen, Lannister, and Stark. So it's just, I think it's just, you know, how we choose to, like, talk about yeah. it. And the fact South Asian fantasy as a whole, leave, be diaspora, Indian, Sri Lankan, Nepal, anyone, none of us have gotten a foot in the door completely yet. Yeah. You know, once we open that door, when we come in, you know, we might think about, you know, further stratification. But I think as a whole now, we need to be a collective force to, you know, make the world turn around and listen, which the yeah. East Asian authors did. The Japanese and the Chinese authors, you know, came together and created this entire space for themselves and where they are now the next big thing. And I think hopefully, uh, you know, we keep talking about Ronnie uh, Parma and there's another uh, author and I, we just talk about that, you know, we're trying to be the vanguard of uh, uh, the fantasy genre where we're trying to get the brown voice to be heard. You know, so I hope that the future holds some bright light for us. Gautam, do you want to say something before I yeah, like, just couple, open the yeah, couple, uh, couple of things. I think I think one for me at least, like South Asia as a term, like doesn't make sense because um, okay, so you can say that India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, right, have a certain unity in the sense that there was a colonial boundary, right, and that colo- colonial boundary then sort of split into three nation states. So you can say okay, here's like a common common factor that perhaps binds India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh together. Um, but then you have Sri Lanka, then you have, you have Nepal, uh, then you have Bhutan, right? then you, know, you have the Maldives, right? which no one talks about, uh, <laughs> perhaps you have Myanmar. Right? So, so I think that, that in that sense, it's, it, the, the term doesn't make sense. There's nothing, 
it's, it's not one nation state you're thinking of, even if nation states themselves are sort of arbitrary constructs. It's not, it's not even that arbitrary construct. It's something more, even more arbitrary. Yeah, so I'm, I'm personally, I mean, I, I know the term is used commonly, again, as, as a marketing label to group together what ends up being like India dominated with perhaps the odd Sri Lankan, perhaps Pakistani, sometimes Bangladesh voice as well. You have Saad Hussain from Bangladesh, of course. You have Bajan Bajan. Uh, yeah, so, so I, yeah, I mean, so I, so I'm, I'm uneasy with South Asia as, as, as an umbrella term, though I understand why it's, why it's being used. Um, on, on names, I mean, this is, I think, again, this, I think this part, party makes the same point. Um, when, uh, when I was working on, on, on the wall, I had a set of names for characters. And one of my readers pointed out, beta readers, that all your names are uh, North Indian upper caste names because you are North, a North Indian upper caste person, right? So therefore, the names that you would think of, you know, for your characters mm -hmm. are, are, are um, reflect the names in your immediate vicinity. Mm -hmm. And not only are, are they like, so you only, you, if you go beyond your own sort of caste, um, you know, set in North India where you have different names, but South India will have like a whole different range of, of names, right? So, so then obviously you start thinking, you know, okay, like you to think you're, you think that you are using Indian names, but actually you're not even using Indian names because India itself is, is basically as, as diverse, if not more than all of Europe, right? So it is a continent. Yeah. And it's, um, so I think, yeah, even, even India, like even Indian SF is itself like mm. a loaded it is the whole yeah. Bengali tradition of Kalpagyan that is completely different from Anglophone Indian SF. Maharashtra has like a century old tradition of SF. So yeah, so I don't even know if Indian SF makes sense. Uh, of course, you can say okay, India is a nation state. So India plus Indian diaspora, at least the coherent, coherent sort of, you know, referral point. Uh, but I, I think that like, uh, we need to interrogate these terms a lot more closely. But actually, on that point, I would slightly disagree to say that South Asian fantasy is just a generic marketing term, you know, because these terms, as we call it, have helped a lot of recognition reach books which are, would have otherwise been shadowed. The best example you can take is BIPOC. They are as diverse as they can be. Like, it's a very, very broad term, but that allowed a lot of books which would not have, you know, come to the forefront because of such wide dominance in America. And obviously, Ronnie and Aparna can shed more light on this. That a lot of East Asian authors that were doing so well right now is because of, you know, these terms. Of course, as you... Yeah, no, I understand the utility of it. I understand the utility of it. That I'm not, yeah. not disputing. Yeah. So I, I guess in that sense, it does make sense. But of course, once you start breaking it down, you know, India itself being such a vast country, like from East when I'm from Odessa and someone is in Maharashtra, are the versions of Mahabharata that we both have are also so different. You know, let alone what, what, what we do, our source material is itself very different. So I guess it just changes in that way. And again, you have the whole Southeast Asia example as well, like what do we incorporate? But I think these terms kind of, uh, while they do help in the marketing bit, but I do feel that intention is very honorable to, uh, you know, to give them a block where, okay, hey, I want to read some South Asian inspired words. So once I click that link on Goodreads, it takes me to a list of books, which, and in that case, our books will come maybe in top 10, but in a normal wide dominated algorithm fucked list, our books might just come in the 75th or 89th rank. So in that sense, these terms, I feel in my opinion, become very helpful. So that's what my thing is. But I, I believe it's more helpful when Barnes & Noble actually bothers to put up a South Asian reads table. Yeah. That's when I really, and I've been actually lobbying for that. I'm like, you guys will do 
everything else, and and this might get me in trouble with Barnes and Noble, but they interesting will. But this year we have a lot of you know. South Asian reads coming out, you know, Aparnas is coming out, yours just came out, um, we had Kritika Rao's Surviving Sky come out, and they mm-hmm. get micro-attention, and again, it goes back to the reduction of, you're South Asian, which I've always hated that, because it's like, South Asia's South relevant to who? Because mm-hmm. we're technically west of China, which is what the Journey West story is about, um, we're east of the Middle East, which is not, and it's like, so first of all, who's categorizing this and choosing that? But South Asia has never been a monolith of culture, as everyone's just talked about, between 26 different languages, all the microclimates, which lead to different foods and food styles, um, our mythology, because of how many different kingdoms have had some sort of influence and in travel between South Asia and trade routes. Um, it, it just feels weird. But like if, if, if publishing is going to use it as a marketing thing, I at least want to see them get marketing with it not just online which has you know inconsequential benefits because you know there's a there's a drop off between how many people see it how many people engage how many buys that i want to see it physically present in stores then which is what the whole traditional yeah. publishing journey is about that's what they offer is in-store presence to help curate and um shape reader expectations when they come in and see books on the shelves rather than just cornered off alphabetically between like 90 other white authors or whatever um how what, what is publishing doing by using this term to actually push and sell the books where the where they're dominant most, which is in bookstores. Um, yeah. So I at least like to see that come out of it if they're going to keep doing, you know, your South Asian authors. Okay, great. What are you doing with that now? Like, what are you? I think. Doing... I. Sorry, go ahead, Ronnie. No, no. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, what I've noticed to be most beneficial for me is finding South Asians who are decision makers, are who are within the infrastructure itself to lead these decisions that help put your book out there um, or get your book even published. Like I had the wonderful opportunity to work with a um, South Asian editor, Priyanka Krishan at Orbit. And I think it made a world of a difference because she understood right away um, some of the intricacies of the book, some of the the, the subtleness um, where I was coming from. I didn't have to explain. And I know Ronnie, you've told me stories of this of like, why I'm doing this the certain way it's doing this because she just got it, you know? Um, And that was really, and that's really powerful because when you have these people, South Asians, I'm using this as an umbrella term, uh, in positions of power, you will inevitably see more quote unquote South Asian stories come to the forefront. I was able actually at Tyson's Corner, I did a signing back when I had self-published the book um, as The Boy With Fire as, and it was because a South Asian um, employee at Barnes and Noble had heard about the book and helped me conduct a signing there. Uh, and that was because, you know, it's people of the diaspora, people across the South Asian identity, when they are in, like, it's not even just positions of power, but when they are in places that can help elevate it, South Asian voices, that's how we get to the forefront. Um, I just saw, I think uh, someone's comment just came up saying like, part of the search problem seems to be incredible lack of coverage of South Asian books from mainstream internet press, which I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently there was like a blog article that was published on Bookish Brew, which was this review site. It's not like, you know, big stream internet uh, review site, um, but a Sri Lankan reviewer made mm-hmm. a beautiful extensive list of like, I think, well, not extensive, but eight to 10 south asian books that were not just indian and it was across and that i think like we need people like us to raise our voices because that's the only way we can be heard i know we're always talking about the problems and struggles that we're facing and i agree but i also think we should also have a conversation about some of the solutions which is 
raising our voices, making sure you're elevating other people uh, and their books and like creating that space for those voices to come to the forefront. Yep. Like, absolutely agree. I think, like, collectively moving that list which you spoke of, Aparna, and, you know, you have so many other lists that, you know, be it Instagram or Twitter, uh, there is a specialized focused list. And, you know, I end up discovering so many books that I had not heard of, you know, even mm-hmm. though I am operating in the same region. And when yeah. it comes to name, I had, I, had my, I had the opposite reaction. It's like, you can't make everyone happy. My names are way too Indian, you know, way too long. It's double syllable, like Satya Bhama and Satyaki, you know, why are they both sounding SS? You know, and it was like the way, like, okay, what do I do now? You know, it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. I think all we can do is just write for ourselves, and you know, because that's why almost every writer tries to sets out to write. And you know, if you find the reader base who would like to read what you write, and that's just amazing. Make no, a bit of recommendation. I can't believe you said that because I got that with two characters named Nisha and Nika, and I was like, would you guys do this with James? And some Jameses mm-hmm. are James and Roberts are Bobs, but not all Bobs are Roberts. And Patties are Patricias, but not all Patricias are Patricks. So I was like, you guys will yeah. have dozens. And Game of Thrones does this. We actually, you and, I, you and I are fans. The amount of like third Robert, whatever. And I'm like, you guys can keep all that in track, but we have a Nika and a Nisha. And it makes you guys like get concernated <laughs> in publishing. Like, do you want to yeah. help us normalize this or not? Like, yeah, I had the same thing with Shakuni, Satyabhama, and you know, Satyaki. I'm like, they are very different people, you know, yeah, very different character trajectories. Yeah. And you can read the spellings are different. Like if you're reading the book, you can read enough to go like, oh, they're spelled differently. They're different people. It should be that simple. Um, I, I think when we go for these things, I think Aparna and I are mostly happy that they get our names right. So, you know, Aparna and God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a reason I chose my initials. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> Guys, I'll just like highlight some questions uh, which have come in the comments so that, you know, we can start answering them before we run out of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I think uh, one second. Yeah, I think Mihir mentioned that there was also no mention of Samit Basu in that Google search. Mm. Wow, crazy. given how yeah, long that's, that's crazy. That's, that's staggering, actually, because I just read Jin Bhatt of Shanti Port, and it was beautiful. I'm so excited uh, I think these were comments which came a little earlier. Again, see, I do not know how to operate this, so I'm glad <laughs> the comments are coming now, but fine. Interesting point by Tashan. I would like Aparna and Ronnie to talk about this as well. Did they face pressure from their publishers about expectations as to what they were supposed to write? Oof. Well, I get canceled if I say this. Um, <laughs> so book two, which which isn't out yet, there, it's obviously a larger book, and they, there's a lot of cut it because of print costs, which is, I thought, mm-hmm. what publishers were supposed to handle for us. But um, they want me to focus on the present-day story a lot more at the cost of the, the backstory, which is heavily South Asian. And part of this, is like I've talked about, is a Silk Road-inspired um, story, and that also deals with history of colonization and other cultures that have had influence in India. So as you've read uh, book one, Gaurav, uh, you'll notice that I have a culture, it's an analog of Portugal, uh, Mitania, which Portugal uh, colonized parts of India, and there was actually a migrant slave trade, and book one doesn't talk about that yet, but there's a reason the Silk Road, my Silk Road is connected to it, and there's an analog between past and present and certain events and how cultures and stories and names trade, and it kind of was shocking that I'm like, you guys want me to focus so much more on the present day, which is a foreigner um, in, in, I guess, a Portugal analog culture story part so much, at the cost of stripping away the South Asian parts of the story. And I'm like, why, why do you want that when this is supposed to be how both of them come together and how, you know, none of these countries are monoliths and they had to coexist and there are consequences and there's back and forth stuff between the frame story and, and the past narrative. Um, and there are reasons I'm doing it this way. And it was just kind of shocking. And I got back like the book's too big. That's not a valid reason for when you acquired this to me for being, um, you know, we want the, the South Asian aspects and we want to see the storytelling and the techniques and some of the nesting stories I tell, um, you know, our, our South Asian epics are heavy on nesting stories. They were some of the first to actually do them. 
and they're not superfluous in my case. And I've given my editors pages of explanations of why this nesting story exists and why it's going to come back later and why it's important. And they're like, yeah, but it's, it's like superfluous word count. I'm like, it's kind of not. And why do you get to decide that when you're happy with, you know, the present day, not South Asian aspect of the story being the majority, but then South Asian is parts like, well, that one's not important or this isn't. It's like, do you really get to decide that or... I don't know. It's it's definitely been contentious for me. Um, and and now I'm canceled. Second, one of my editors or somebody sees this, but whatever. <laughs> Only a video successful to get canceled. It's fine. Oh wait, successful people do get canceled. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the weird thing too. Um, book one did well for not being marketed as much as it was supposed to. Um, I found out later that in my early royalties from August to December, book one technically out earned in the first four months. But That's awesome. it's still being treated really weird. Of like, we don't know and. Um, yeah, just it's like okay. Well, it's it's been a weird ride for me. Well, Aparna, what about you? I mean, you're like Aparna. For those of you guys who do not know, is the most beautiful Bollywood fantasy that you will find. Like, there's something which Aparna has invented called Dupatta Riz. Okay. Oh and my think, God. Okay, so, I will not. I did not invent that. That was a comment. I mean, yeah, someone wrote that as a comment. Yes, yes. Sorry, I, sorry, my I, I think I've, I'm just really good at like keying into like quote unquote marketing moments. Um, because I work as a full-time marker for a tech company. Mm. Like, that's what I live and breathe and do mm. every day. Uh, and that has really helped me push my book out. Um, but I, I do, like Gautam was talking about before, feel the limitations of using South Asian or Indian-inspired as, or, like, you know, as, like, limitations of what I can say. Like, I know it's very purposeful when I put it down because I know it's for certain markets or to meet and push my book towards a certain demographic that may have not seen themselves in the pages before, but it does not wholly represent, you know, um, the story itself. Uh, but I, I, I will say like, you know, luckily knock on wood, I haven't faced as much pressure from my publisher of taking away Indianness, um, of letting the book just be. And I think it really is because I have a South Asian editor, um, who uh, is at a big major US SFF imprint, like Orbit is one of the biggest ones. Um, and she is a huge and uh, sub, uh, supporter for South Asian voices. Um, uh, Vishnu Patel Kaiki uh, was, is, she's my agent sibling and editor sibling. Uh, and for those of you who read it, like that book itself has has controversy around it. And yet, our editor like, gives us the permission and the courage to explore these, you know, intricate topics without, you know, instilling fear. Like she's always there to help support us, which I I truly love. Um, so I, I and I know it goes back to that question of like who's in power and how can we get people like us mm -hmm. uh, to be decision makers? I mean, Gotham, you're part of like Strange Horizon. So you have a position of, you know, and you were talking mm -hmm. about raising uh, like uh, even like Palestinian American voices or Sri Lankan voices. So you have that power. And I think that's really cool of how you're elevating, you know, not just South Asian voices, but BIPOC voices, you know, all across the board. But Gotham, did you face that when you were writing the wall? Because you brought this topic up, you were writing this beautiful, futuristic world where there's a wall and uh you know there are characters but, but was there a pressure from your editor to like make it more i don't know desi or indian not at all not at all because i mean i think i think perhaps that's one one perhaps benefit of of uh of publishing directly in india yeah uh, is 
uh, that that was never a thing. So I, I had complete freedom to to do that. Uh, so there was never a thing of make this more Indian because how much more Indian can it get? You know, yeah. India published mm. in India by an Indian imprint. You know, <laughs> what's more Indian than that? So so there was never that problem. Unfortunately, uh, mm. yeah. That's not with you as well, right? No, I feel like in India you have absolute freedom to do whatever you freedom, want yeah. because they're just like it's fine. It won't sell anyway. It's all okay. Um, <laughs> but I think um, I think abroad there's a lot more positioning of yourself as yeah. an Indian author, and therefore what as an Indian author you're allowed to tackle and what you're allowed to write. Yeah. At least that's what it feels like right now from where I'm sitting. Maybe that changes once I'm actually in the West oh, and in that industry. Of course, the, the caveat to what Tashin said was that in, if you're in India, there are a lot of things that if you write and if by some chance, mm. you know, it gets out, then you might be in some... some <laughs> yeah, danger, I, but... I, I ah. praise that. Yeah, you know, that's true. I have written a grimdark reimagination of the Mahabharata mm. where, you know, I'm dealing with like a lot of issues, which I felt were yeah. questions. And uh, I anticipated that as a lot of trouble. Like for the longest time, my dad was mm. asking me, why don't you use a pseudonym? You know, just in case mm. if you get into some trouble, I'm like, nah, it's fine. It's okay. It's going to be fine. But so far, somehow it hasn't happened yet because I feel that uh, Mahabharata being already like morally gray and having so many different versions, mm. uh, it hasn't like the, the target audience who I felt would have had an issue with it mm. hasn't, in fact, have, have ended up loving it. So, so far, mm. no stone pelting on me yet, but uh, <laughs> it can change anytime here. So as we all know. Cool. Uh, I'll just read out some comments. Uh, Premi has written, Salman Rushdie also talks about the South Asian structure and the format of stories, hmm. breaking away from the traditional Western structure. I think Ronnie already spoke about this. Um, yeah. uh, in your publishing journeys, what has been the most common form of the right slash B South Asian expectation? What features seem most expected? I think we spoke about this already in terms of laziness. I'll just like, sorry, you, I think this is Ronnie, your friend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sri Lankan author, brilliant guy. Um, we mm -hmm. co-wrote stuff together, and then yeah, and Gotham also knows him. Yeah, and everyone I should read this... the Salvage Crews. The Salvage, Salvage Crew, yeah, yeah. It must be, yeah, yeah. But this is pretty I amazing. Think he just you won know, the Gratian too uh, in Sri Lanka. So massive literary prize over there. Like in terms sorry, of right, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was saying that in this whole right, be South Asian expectations actually very interesting because like. I have been also fortunate like you guys that my editor has not had, has given me the complete freedom mm. to be as I want to be. But not from my editor, just generally, there's been a bit of pushback on my series name, which is called the Raga Vrita. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted like words which are very inherently Indian that do not have a translation mm. in the Western counterpart. And mm -hmm. Harvard has recognized that Rag is not a word that has a counterpart in Western music. And so same goes for Rita. But the whole idea of pronunciation of it is an issue. So there was some questions raised about can I rethink the series name and you know it's like when you've thought of the name already it has settled into your system you know mm. changing that just feels uh, I don't know adultery with your book and your story and it's just like uh, it just did not but so answering that question that was this expectation but has not been forced on so that's a mm. good thing um this is nice Bo has asked so how can we as fans help you all get the exposure you deserve outside of the obvious answer of posting reviews on all the major sites. Uh, oh, buy yeah. the books, unfortunately, because at least in American publishing, it comes down to that. Um, mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to share this. God, I, I, if I'm going to get canceled, I probably already am anyways. Um, or should I said, 
but there's so much that's predetermined on your pre-orders and stuff and publishing obviously decides your marketing and publishing's paid me and recent stuff has come out about this i don't know how many people here are aware of publishing rodeo which has been talking about yeah. and breaking down yeah, publishing mm -hmm. stuff. And yeah. Scott and Sun Yi have gotten uh, analysts on. And recently there was a breakdown from, I forgot what kind of doctor she is, but she did the, the metrics of how much publishing yeah. spend decides your, your, your breakouts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know for a fact, mine was undercut all the stuff I was promised. And it kind of showed in my communications of like communication started getting less and less up to my, my, my debut up until the pre-order numbers came out. And thankfully fans rallied. And they instantly, the tone weirdly changed. Everyone was talking to me and congratulating me and talking about it because the pre-order numbers were really good. And then it turned around to after the four or five month cycle of like, everyone's really happy with my, my sales at that time. I don't know how it's changed now because now we're in a year later. So first hardcover returns will probably have happened as the paper books, paperbacks coming out. But it's been really interesting and weird that it just unfortunately comes back down to that regardless of what publishing says to you what they actually do is going to be, it's, it's down to the numbers. Um, yeah. Down to what came out of the Pump Penguin Random House and Simon Schuster merger, where a lawyer practically admitted that unless you get a $300,000 advance or was it above 250, they're really not going to market you that much. Like they're going to hope you earn back, but it's not until then. And I can prove that without, I don't want to name names, but there's an author that I'm very close with who got double my advance and she got a lot more marketing and her sales were about double my my actual sales. So it's interesting how that correlates, like double the advance, double the actual sales, uh, copy for copy. And it was pretty damn close to times two. Um, and it, so it really does seem like it comes down to, unfortunately, the buying power. If publishers I mean, aren't marketing you, you can't really outmarket your yeah. publisher. There's been data showing that you can try and TikTok might help. But unless you break out, like it's going to it'll move the needle so small compared yeah. to what your publisher can do if they yeah. actually try. Um, mm -hmm. Another example is I know a friend of mine got a Barnes and Noble speculative fiction pick, and a Macmillan rep uh, pushed for that really hard. And the amount of volume that shifted in in mm -hmm. copies per week is staggering. Getting that one yeah. effort out of your publisher to convince a bookstore to do that for you, it, it's mind boggling. Um, got them on a bestseller list and everything, which they absolutely deserve. But it shows how much the onus is on publisher and then obviously readers, and that both those equations are out of our control. You can't make your publisher do something for you. And you can only hope yeah. you can convince your readers to buy you. So yeah, to I answer this question, they would, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Word, word of mouth is, is, is you know. Yeah. You know, is, yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, what we've been talking about. Even if like, you, like, you like the book, uh, just talking about it uh, with, with people. Agreed. Is, is very, very helpful, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, my book went from indie to traditional purely because of word of mouth. You know, I was published yeah. in India by a small-time publisher, and then it got picked up by head of Zeus and Bloomsbury simply because of pure word of mouth. But mm -hmm. to answer this question as to how you guys can, as fans, apart from the obvious answer of buying the book and reviewing it, uh, is, I don't know, personally, I think that if you feel that, like you want to, I don't know, get someone the exposure, just search um, Afghanistan cozy fantasy novel, you know, like something which would not at any way come on the top of the algorithm, you know? And I just think that that might just unveil exciting results which you would not have come across in your normal way of thinking. So, and that will help you, the more you discover, the more you talk about it. And, you know, once you start making a conscious search in that direction, maybe the internet gods will start picking up, okay, wait, hang on a second, maybe South Asian yeah, treasures do merit more uh, time on Google's search one result. So, and that can like, and so that when Aparna and we search that result, N.K. Jemsen's book doesn't come up. And, you know, someone... <laughs> Nepal or Myanmar, you know, I think that I think that's something which I would like to add.
Um, next question. Does anyone else want to add to this, or can I move on to the next question? Yeah. Okay, so we have ten minutes, so I'll just like quickly. There, there aren't many left. Um, to everyone, based upon the struggles with publishers, would it cause you all to return to indie, or remain, or is it the opposite where you want to push the struggles? Mm. I guess the base is indie or traditional. I'll answer this because right now it just got published, and I was indie before, and now I'm in traditional. I think it really depends. majorly on what your other life is as well mm-hmm. in terms of time because if you yeah. have like for example i am a lawyer and you know the come got them the second this because our lives are 10 to 10 on a very good day you know mm-hmm. and when you are having that kind of a life when a traditional publishers pick up it's not that you your effort at marketing the book grid like in any way diminishes but they do a bit more shoulder work than you know which you would have to do a lot more as an indie So I guess that for me was a big load off, you know. So personally, that is my personal experience because having been on both sides, I came I know from India. India. Yeah, yeah, you came from India as well. Yeah. And what I've seen and people I've talked to have also done both now in our hybrid is, and again, publishing radio has talked about this in other places that it seems like traditional is getting more comfortable trying to offload a lot more of the work onto the authors. Like, hey, start your own TikTok. Mm-hmm. Hey, start doing this marketing. Start doing that. And again, the data suggests it doesn't move the needle as much. So I I am definitely keeping my hybrid options open because I I know what I can make indie. Um I know the support is growing and also I've got friends doing kickstarters for example. Um and mm-hmm. and remember the goal of publishing is to get your books in the bookstores to reach readers, right? They don't yeah. do any good sitting on the shelf. They have to be sold. And Kickstarter just sells directly to your readers now. And I know what the margins are. I've seen people go through the data and i think we're in a very interesting wild wild west time where more is becoming viable for authors to learn uh earn incomes now without necessarily being locked up into one publishing format uh so for me i'm just keeping all my options open because i, I this is how i pay my bills and i'd like to keep being able to eat <laughs> yeah i was um self published before this and that was it was basically the phoenix king was first called the boy of fire and then orbit acquired it and now it's like got a revamp it's called the phoenix king um and I did not a Kickstarter, but it was an Indiegogo, and that's like another oh. crowdfunding campaign site. Uh, and we raised. It, the data suggests that it takes about six thousand U.S. dollars to publish one book, um, just like in terms of like copy editors, layout editors, developmental editors, your regular mm-hmm. editor, cover design, cover artists, all of that. NetGalley, like you, when you're self-published, you have to pay for your book to be up on NetGalley, uh, which I didn't know until I had to do it. Um, and so there's all these costs. And like Ronnie says, I firsthand was able, like we raised about, I think a little over $7,000. So I did have some like leeway. Um, and my books, they were they were at $39 for a paperback, <laughs> which was a quite a, like a steep um, mm-hmm. price point, but it was like, you got, you know um a signed copy pure swag and your book was in the acknowledgments of the book so you were listed as like one of the original crowdfunding raisers and so i was able to see firsthand grassroots efforts to help a book get published and i was a small scale the biggest scale is brandon sanderson who did like yeah. amazing millions of dollars right. like uh, and that's My what goal. we want to strive for but i think It, it like Ronnie said it's a very it's becoming more of a viable option if you know how to market if you know how to do outreach uh, it's definitely doable 
Well, that's and you know how to is a very operative portion because I ended up set, uh, Gautam, I, I spent my Shadul Amartan bonus on my cover art you know, when I started out. <laughs> so, it was, good amount of money, I, I would imagine. <laughs> I had to, it was the UK designer. I like, you know, I really wanted to do my cover and the cover is great, luckily. But uh, uh, you know, something I want to bring up, though. Sorry? Um, there's something I want to bring up. I realize that affects POC authors and gets back into this as well. Um, so some of you might have recently seen that Barnes and Nobles and publishers are dropping mass market paperbacks and mm. the loss of hardcover debuts for especially POC authors. And I think we've talked about this in our private discord. Um, part of the reason my book performed so well in terms of earning is because it debuted in hardcover, like the margin costs that they get back. But I'm also seeing that with the loss of hardcover and the print prices we're seeing raising, traditional trade paperbacks are coming out right now because I'm Googling searching this right now are now just as high or higher than indie trade market paperbacks. So the traditional cost of what a paperback to a reader is is also increasing. So that's actually going to affect the market. Um, if a traditional publisher can no longer put out a paperback cheaper than what a KDP, I'm going to use KDP as an example because mm -hmm. they have their own printing, uh, KDP paperback, that changes the market a lot. Yeah. Um, because part well, of it was the mass market. Will, like, absolutely not make sense for a lot of Indians because for us, you know, hardback is like the last golden Nobel Prize that you get. Right. You know, because hardbacks are generally, which go, and Kadam and Tashni might correct me if I'm wrong, mostly nonfiction, right? I rarely ever see a fiction book in hardback. I don't think I've seen one in the longest time. You know, hardback is like the ultimate prize that you do get. But literary, literary, literary fiction, literary fiction in India. Literary fiction gets a lot of hardbacks. The lies we was hardback. But mad sisters. turn into like a profit mechanism, where outside mm -hmm. India, and this is something which I saw from Ronnie and everyone else's experience, they start out with hardbacks and they earn so much money for them and yeah. like make up for any kind of thing which they lose in paperback and it's interesting like in india yeah. my book is like a 600 500 bucks 600 bucks something like that and a lot of people are saying that's too expensive and that's mm. it is 600 pages it's like you know one rupee per page that's okay but yeah. then i the whole uh, i don't know we were used to vikram Seth novels which were like around 1500 pages and <laughs> after chetan books i don't know we, we i don't know has that <laughs> collective uh, reading capacity gone and i'm not quite sure but uh, it's interesting, but we are at a good crossroads there. So, um, yeah. What is Publishing Rodeo, by the way? Um, so it is a podcast run by Sunyi Dean and Scott uh, Drakeford, who are also mm -hmm. two tour authors who debuted with me last year. And all three of us have had very different experiences in our release and marketing and promises. And Sunyi and Scott created a podcast about it because they're on both extremes. Um, Scott's book was acquired for a certain amount. And... I think he's talked about this. So it's okay for me to say, but it was kind of just um, thrown at the wall like spaghetti. He wasn't given arcs. He wasn't really given the support he felt like he, he could have mm -hmm. gotten. And Sun Yi's book um, got a lot of love and it was treated wonderfully. And it is a great book. And, and they both just had very different results. And they started talking about first their experience in interviewing other authors, um, myself and Wayne, who is a, um, uh, an author from Singapore, if I remember correctly, originally, uh, we talked about our experiences. They bring people on uh, who have had other deals um they cover a lot it's a fantastic podcast everything from marketing budgeting promises mm -hmm. uh monetary stuff i believe preemie who uh commented and yeah, said publishing wrote i believe she's been on um they talk about a lot of stuff it's kind of like sff addicts but it's only publishing professionals coming on talking about the industry and some harsh truths because if you're in a debut group there are a lot of new authors or aspiring authors seeing it. And uh, it's, I guess, depressing some of them when they see some publishing truths come out of how the industry's run, uh, at least in the West. Yeah, it's a good podcast. It's worth listening to. 
Great. All right, guys, we are coming uh, to the close of this session. And it was, wow, it was like so many amazing discussions that we have had from, uh, you know, the different range, the definition of South Asian fantasy to, you know, the struggles which we all have faced to the need for not having a definition and to, you know, just talk about, uh, you know, everything else that we spoke about. Now, we've even forgotten the list of what we have spoken about. <laughs> but uh, any, parting, <laughs> any parting words that you guys have before we close the session? Uh, Dashan, we can start with you, if that's okay. Oh, I just wanted to say it was a really lovely chat. Um, my eyes are slightly glazing over. It's near midnight at this point. Like I want a Cinderella away. But uh, it's been—it's honestly been fantastic. It's been a great conversation. It's been lovely hearing different perspectives, and I actually really love uh, when we talk about South Asian fantasy and kind of explore what it is to be creators of that, and kind of step away from those definitions, kind of step into the the reality and the meat of it. Um, so I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me here. Great. Okay. She said everything so beautifully. <laughs> yeah, like, and this was fantastic hearing everyone's perspectives and just talking. And obviously, it's meeting more South Asians is always just great. Because um, it's like you said, uh, we're kind of a fractured community in terms of publishing at times because of the, the gap between where we publish from and time. And um, we haven't had our books codified as much and, and shared on shelves. So. Hopefully this is the start of that and helping to make that same movement you talked about, um, analoging East Asians and other other groups that have gotten to break out and establish themselves that way. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to SSF Addicts and FanFi Addicts for hosting this and giving us a space to talk about it. Um, all the questions were great. All the discussions were great. And go get everyone's books. Please buy our books so we can continue <laughs> conversations like Keep this. writing, yeah. 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 And echoing everyone and, and thanks to Gaurav for moderating. To, for taping thank you. Your... I was deciding why is no one thanking me? Thank you. You know how difficult it was to get all these questions and to stalk each one of you <laughs> to find these questions. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. And yeah, uh, this was great. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you guys and you know i'm really i really had a great time chatting and learning from you all so much um just to for people who are watching this uh, ronnie has written the first binding the book came out last year it's doing amazing as you know he's already out on his stuff um Tashan's book the liars weave something with these birth charts i want to buy it i can't wait to read it uh gotham's book which is unclassifiable apparently uh you know yet the wall i think it's just something amazing you guys please need to dig into it uh, Aparna's book, The Phoenix King, you know, please imagine Shah Rukh Khan and Deepika Padukone uh, in that book. So that book comes out in August, so just look out for it. Uh, my book, Sons of Darkness, just came out two weeks back. Uh, you know, the best way to support us is obviously buy the books and leave the reviews. But, you know, even if just word of mouth will help. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, good night, guys. Cheers. All right. Since we're South Asians, namaste. <laughs> <laughs>